Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Good morning. Uh, it's really, uh, really, really good to be with you guys. Um, this, is a, this is a fun day. This is a fun day. You guys excited to be in the new place? Feels good. Yeah. We're having, uh, we're having fun. We're, uh, th- we're, we'll remind you, this is our, uh, our soft launch, not our grand opening. Which means we're learning a few things. There's a, there's a few surprises coming at us uh, here and there. It's all fine. Um, we're uh, apparently going to switch the nursery and the toddler room. That's going to happen. So uh, if, if, probably when, not if, you hear children screaming, um, just have two thoughts. Just think, uh, imagine how loud we are to them. That could be the first thought you could have. And then, uh, and then maybe, maybe the second thought just said, you know, just bless them, Lord, right? We're from the South. We know how to say that. Bless them, Lord. Just don't say it out loud because I'll think you're addressing it to me, and that means the preacher's bombing. So just in your heart, say bless them, Lord. Otherwise, I'll get really insecure up here. So um, guys, it's so good to be here with you and, and to be here and to be here with you. I've been here a lot the last few weeks. And uh, it's mostly looking and running in circles, trying to find my tools. Um, but I've been here, and it's great. And I'm like, this is a great place. This is a nice place. It's a nice building. Good building. But then you guys show up, and it's church, you know? It's family. And that's so much better. So it is good to be here. It is good to be here with you. Um, thank you so much for all that you have done. So many of you have given so much time. Uh, it's been so generous financially in all the ways. Uh, I just can't say it enough. I'm so thankful to you uh, for your faithfulness um, and to God for his faithfulness, how he has uh, brought us to this point. This is a lot of fun. Um, I know you just sat down, but can I ask you to stand one more time? I say one more time. We'll do another one later, but one more time for a while before I let you rest a second. I just want to take a moment and thank the Lord for what he's done uh, and dedicate this building to the Lord. So, Jesus, um, you're so good. You're so faithful, and uh, we're just delighted in what you've done. We're, we're stunned by the way that we have experienced in so many ways your favor uh, in this church family, in this body of believers, or the way you have met with us again and again, week after week, all the people who have found life in you, God. And Lord, we're grateful for this next phase, that this new opportunity you've provided with this, this really important tool, the building that you've made available for us. And God, um, please, as we walk with you, please use us as faithful stewards over literally every square foot of this place. May every square foot of this building bring glory to you. This is a place of worship. May it be that, a place, as the Celtic said, a thin place, a temple, a place where your presence draws near, where people find uncanny access to the love of God. And I ask that every person who walks in this door, not just now, but every time, even through the week, 
every person who walks in this door would find themselves strangely aware of the love of God. Every person who walks in this place would be aware that they are delighted in by the King of glory. Um, may we worship you here with sincerity, uh, with, with glad hearts, with genuine joy. Uh, may we be sincere and honest people here. Um, people who share one another's burdens, who support one another. May we be the body of Christ in this place. And God, thank you, thank you for what you have provided for us. I just ask again at every turn that people would walk into this place and know your love. I ask you, God, for thousands of people who would find life with you in this place, that salvation would spring up from this very ground. And may every bit of it be for your glory, not for ours, but for yours. We delight in you, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat at least for a little while. I'm so thankful to God, as I said. I'm so thankful to you. Uh, I'm thankful and gracious uh, with my whole heart, you know, with my whole heart. And uh, also, I I find myself also thankful that you came to this service and not the other one. Uh, Turns out that's the one that's jammed. So I know originally we invited you to come to service at 9.15 and 11. I now revoke your 9.15 invitation. You're in the right service. (laughs) Come back to this one. Don't come back to the other one. Okay. If it's an either or, come to the night 15. But you're really welcome here. You're really, really extra welcome in this, in this service. Anyway, like I said, I'm so grateful. Um, I'm thankful to you with my whole heart. And when I say I'm grateful with my whole heart, I actually mean that not so much in the English sense of the word, but in the Hebrew sense of the word. And I want to take a minute and explain to you what I mean when I say our heart in the Hebrew sense of the word. And then I found out that the guys at the Bible Project did a much better job with that than I ever could. So here's a quick video telling you what I mean by that. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. 
But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All right, I have to plan more walk-up time. This stage is so much bigger than what I'm used to. Um, so when I say I'm thankful with my whole heart, I'm, I mean it in the Hebrew sense, mind, emotion, in every sense of the word. Um, and let's go back to one of the verses that we saw in the video there. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else. And then this is, this is it seems like an overstatement, it's not. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart because it's, kind of everything. I don't know about you, but whenever I, I hear this verse and have heard this verse uh, growing up, uh, it's usually being quoted uh, to warn a young person uh, who has just fallen in love with someone they do not know. And so we say, guard your heart, uh, because this is a kind way, this is the way adults tell children we think you're about to do something really stupid. So um, that's how I heard it for the most part. Um, and actually, fair enough, um, that works. It's, it is definitely not not saying that. Um, but there's, there's a lot more going about. There's a lot more than a, a warning about puppy love going on here. Um, our hearts, again, in the Hebrew sense of the word, are the hot spots of our fundamental longings. Okay? And our hearts are designed to attach, to connect, and to connect deeply, to to bond. That's not too strong of a word. You've probably heard this, but we were made for worship. This is what we were made to do. We were designed to set our affections on something or someone and then to connect deeply. And when we don't have that settled, when we don't have it sorted out, where we're going to set our affections, where we're going to direct our hearts, um, then we are tempted to then attach, to connect, to bond, to almost anything. 
Um, I always think of the idea in chemistry. Um, I've shared it with you before. It's just where my mind always goes. Um, it's the idea of a, a free radical. Uh, a free radical to oversimplify it, which is the only way I can understand it. I don't know anything about chemistry. I can't believe I'm talking about it. But um, a free radical is an element that's missing an electron, basically. And an element that's missing an electron, a free radical, is so desperate to fill that void, that's, that, that longing, that missing, that missing piece, um, that it will bond that free radical with almost any element it can find. And out of that sort of desperation to connect, a free radical will bond with stuff it's not supposed to bond with, creating chemicals and compounds that are unstable and wonky and just aren't supposed to exist. And that causes things like diseases and explosions all, all the time. And I, inevitably, guys, I mean, we're the same way. We're just we're the same way. When our hearts aren't genuinely bonded to God, then there's this deep, there's this lack, this, this longing, this like fundamental hunger. And when that happens over and over again, uh, what we're inclined to do is, is to bond with all sorts of things, hoping to fill the void, what's lacking. And just like in chemistry, uh, it causes us to make connections we shouldn't make, uh, it causes things to get sick, causes things to explode. You could all tell stories. It messes everything up. Guarding your heart is being intentional about what you give your life to about where you place those fundamental longings. Um, love the Lord with all your heart. All right, you church kids have definitely all heard that. Jesus said that's the first and the greatest commandment. This is absolutely core. That's about, again, choosing to direct our longings, our hopes, our passions toward our maker and to nothing less. And everything is less than our maker. Often Jesus would ask people, what do you want? What do you want? And it seems sort of direct and intrusive, but the truth is that's a, like this really loaded statement. What do you want? What, what is it that your heart actually longs? Because that's, that's what it's about. It's about the heart. Again, our Proverb 4.23, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Where you place your heart is everything. For this life, for the next life. Okay. Uh, I'm going to geek out a little bit on a quote that I think is brilliant. So uh, we're going to look at something uh, written by uh, maybe the most brilliant Christian theologian and philosopher since, like I think maybe since the Apostle Paul, okay? Um, a, a guy named St. Augustine. Uh, or if you're educated, St. Augustine. So we're going to go with Augustine. St. Augustine. And he wrote in his book, The Confessions, uh, and this was in the late 4th century, so don't run past that. Get that in your mind. We're talking about 300 and something A.D., a very long time ago. And he put his finger just right on the human condition. Just puts his finger right on it. And he does it with so much, just so much truth and precision and such brevity that it's, it's almost scary. Like one sentence that encapsulates all of life. There's a lot of buildup, but I think it's worth it. Here we go. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless till it finds rest in you. Don't run past it. Think about it. You've made us for yourself. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest 
in you. Kind of look at a phrase at a time. You've made us for yourself. So this is a prayer. This is addressed to God. He's saying, God, you made us. You're the creator. We're the creator. We're created. You're the designer. And, and you're the one who gave us our hearts, our longings, our desires, our minds, our emotions. And by God's design, at our very core, I mean the irreducible minimum, like at bottom, you were made for him. That's, that's our purpose. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. That's your meaning. That's your fulfillment. That's your aim. That's your telos. That's you were created to glorify God. It's, hear me, it's why you exist, period. It's why you're here. And next phrase, he says, our, our, heart, is, our heart is restless. Think about what that means. Can you maybe think about how easy it is for you to relate to that idea? The restlessness of the human heart. There's this, there's this thing in this busted world that we live in where we've all just felt ourselves sort of writhing and, and, and unsettled and not quite at peace and not quite at home. And it's like we, we wear this world like an ill-fitted shirt. Like it just never, it never sets right. <laughs> and we, we don't, we lack for peace and, 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 and rest in this world. Because we're like, again, we're like free radicals. We're elements that are missing something and we're looking for that missing piece, whatever it is that like, that's lacking. And, and the Bible really affirms this, by the way. The Bible says in a number of ways, but the most direct, he says we're, we're aliens, we're foreigners, we're strangers in this world. This is not our home. Guys, this is not our home. I know you've seen on the screens, welcome home, a bunch of times. I'm not referring to this little patch of land. I'm talking about the world in which we live. This is not our home. We were made for God. Full stop. And yet, here we are just swimming in this world that's filled with stuff that isn't God. And all of these things, these ideas with which, by which we're surrounded, they are just vying desperately for our affections, for our focus, for our hearts. And all of us to one degree or another have at one time or another allowed our affections to drift and started putting our hope somewhat in the broken stuff of this broken world that never really seems to satisfy. And we find out again and again that when we do that, it, does, it just doesn't work. Uh, we're, we set our longings again on anything less than God um, and we're left with that still fundamental lacking because it's not what we were made for. It's just not what we were made for. Um, but I think all too often, this feels inevitable. Like there's nothing we can do about it. That's just the way things are, that sort of restless, unsettled reality in our world. And I think we then, as a result, will kind of settle for that, settle for the counterfeits. And, and then we just deal with it. Like, it's, I don't know, it's just our lot in, a, in this life, in a fallen world. Um, I, I think we have, I think Scripture speaks a better word. I, I would Again, try to explain it myself, but C.S. Lewis always says it better. So here's a quote from him. It's a good one. He said this, We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
We are far too easy pleased when we settle for anything less than the king of glory. And that restlessness that we feel of our hearts, guys, and this is what he's driving at here. It's not a life sentence. It's not your destiny. There's actually an answer for it. And so the, what he's pleading with us is to not settle for anything less. And so that's what he's saying in the last phrase. Our heart is restless until, until it finds its rest in you. When, when you guard your heart uh, and, and you direct your longings finally and fully toward God, you find rest. It's like coming up for air. And what happens is the things that seemed off and ill-fitting, they, they, they click into place. They snap into place. You were made for Him. And when you live your life accordingly... Um, you're no longer going against the grain. Let me, this is how H.H. H. Farmer put it, so simple and true. If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. There you go. And when we stop going against the grain of the universe, when we live our lives and set our hearts on the thing for which we have been fundamentally made, which is to glorify God, then that dissonance starts to resolve. And that, that longing starts to find its resolution and as he said, we, our hearts find rest. Now, let's come over here and talk about what this weird situation is. Anybody been wondering what this is about? Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I'll tell you what this is about. Um, this building is very expensive, so these are our new offering tubs. We're going to <laughs> pass a tub for offering just to get the point across. Um, that's not what we're going to do. We've never passed a plate or a tub for offering. We never will. Don't worry. That's not, no lot's changed. That's not changing. Um, when I think of this quote, can we put that, that St. Augustine quote back up? Almost said Augustine. <laughs> when I think of this, what I picture is a beach ball underwater. Ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater? You're about to watch me try to do it. In a, it's actually, it's surprisingly hard, isn't it? Um, you guys um, heard of the comedian Jim Gaffigan? Uh, some, somebody asked him what it was like to go from four kids to five, and he said, it's like you're trying to hold four beach balls under the water, and then somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> that's what it's like. Um, that has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just the only beach ball joke I know. So that's where we went. Uh, so anyway, you're the beach ball. And uh, so please don't read into it when I drown it here in a second. Uh, you're the beach ball. Uh, the air that we're mercifully breathing now, we can think of as the air of the kingdom, the air of heaven. Um, that beautiful moment when you just breathe the breath of God and your lungs are filled with all that's right and good. That, that moment, those rare, beautiful moments. And the water, uh, which you can't see. I was going to buy like a big clear like aquarium or something. I just couldn't. I'm so tired of spending money. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Anyway, um, the water that you can't see is uh, the world that we're living And in a very real way, guys, like, this is life. <laughs> and I'm not fake. The grunt in my voice is not fake. This is really hard. I originally was going to hold, I planned to hold the ball down with one hand, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> so even now I'm afraid that it's going to slip, and it'll hit me right in the face. So, um, yeah, like, in this world... There's this struggle, this, this suffocating reality that we have been plunged into a place that's not our own, for which we have not been created, a place in which we are strangers and foreigners in this land. 
and we feel it. Our hearts are restless. Like there's something in us that's just dying to get to the top. It's dying to come up for air. And that's what he's talking about. He said our hearts are restless until we find our rest finally. We find our rest in him. We set our fundamental longings on him alone. And then we come up for air. And our hearts find their rest. And it's this deep, profound resonance. It's this like moment of clarity when you're like, this is it. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to see. This is how I'm supposed to feel. This is the clarity I'm supposed to have. It's like in those profound moments, the world just pulls into focus. And it's like you can breathe again. It's coming up for air. And um, one more idea while I'm still here, because if I, if I stop here, then I'll leave you with the wrong impression, and I don't, I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression. To make sure we don't do that, we're going to do another quote. Um, this one from another genius, also from a very long time ago, uh, 13th century, so get your head around that. And this is Lady Juliana of Norwich, and, and in a moment we'll read it. And just FYI, it's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, this is written in uh, a book that we believe was the first book ever written by a woman in English. So pretty significant. And she's just this brilliant, brilliant, faithful woman of God. Um, and her insight here, I just think, is absolutely profound. But again, you're going to want to run, fat, run past it, so don't run past it, okay? Uh, it says this, I saw him and sought him, and I had him, and I lacked him. And this is and should be our ordinary undertaking in this life. What she's talking about is this fundamental restlessness that we feel suffocating in a world that we're not made for. And it's just in that moment, I saw him. I saw him. And then I sought him. But here's the thing. In, in the moments while we're, we're in this sort of suffocating reality, the fact is God reveals himself in his kindness. He shows himself to us. And when we see him, we behold his beauty. As scriptures say, we taste and see that he is good. We see him and then we seek him. You can't not seek him if you see the beauty of the Lord. I saw him and I sought him. And she says, and then I had him. I had him. And then she says, and I lacked him. I lacked him. And she says, this is and actually should be our ordinary undertaking in this life. Our hearts find rest in God. We breathe, we come up for air. And then, because we're still broken people in a broken, vicious world, we don't get to stay here. Um, because we're not yet experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's why we say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. That's a way of saying, God, can we come up for air? Can we come up for air? Would you let your kingdom come and your will be done? And we want to stay here, but we don't stay here. Um, I know we got a lot of church kids and Sunday school rats in our church. If so, you probably remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. You guys remember that one? Where 
Jesus and his best friends, Peter, James, and John, go up to the top of the mountain, and they have this incredible moment. It's, it's absolutely transcendent, this miraculous moment where they see the glorified Christ and all his glory, right? And, then, and, and Moses and Elijah are there as well. And it's this incredible, like, it's, they're coming up for air. They're breathing the air of the kingdom like never before, and it's really good. And then Peter's Peter. Peter thinks to himself, there's a void of leadership in this room. It's time for me to step up. We've just got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Clearly, I'm the one who should be in charge. And he opens his dumb mouth like Peter does. We love Peter, but he had a dumb mouth. And he opens his dumb mouth, and he goes, I got an idea. I got, I got a plan. This is good, in case you're wondering. I approve. This is good. Let's build some houses. We live here now. We're, we're going to stay right here. We're not going anywhere. Let's build a shell. And then while he's talking, the Lord just starts speaking over him. It's the kindest possible way to say, Peter, shut up. Okay. But it doesn't say that. I'm reading into the text, but it's kind of there, right? And the Lord just speaks over him because, because he wasn't, that's not how that ends, right? It's not how you don't, we don't live there. We don't stay there. As the psalmist said, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. There are these moments when we come up for air and then we continue then living in this busted world. And then from there, we have to claw our way back into that place, that place of clarity, that place of resonance, that place of understanding where your, where your priorities are right and all you want is him. That moment, we have to get back to it again and until we do, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him, until we come back to the surface and we again fill our lungs with the joy of his presence. And then after that, we're plunged right back in to our fallen reality. And as frustrating as that can be, as difficult as that is, Lady Juliana says, and she's right, she goes, it's actually supposed to be like that. It's actually the way it's supposed to work because this is how we grow. She's saying like, we don't, we don't actually float above it all in this broken world. We live in this world. In it, not of it. We're swimming in it, and there's purpose in that. And here's what happens. There's happens lots of folks, a real good chance you've felt this way as well, where you have one of those encounters that can look and feel all sorts of different ways, but those moments where things click into place and there's understanding and there's perspective and there's clarity and you realize this is what I was made for and this is who I am and I've been designed to worship God and everything seems right in those fleeting moments and you think, I just want to live here now. I'm going to stay on this mountaintop. I'm going to float above in a cloud of Shekinah glory for all my days. And then when that doesn't happen, we can just be devastated. Because we think, oh wait, I, I figured it out. I saw it. In that moment of clarity, all I wanted was God. I could see it. And, then, and now, I, now I don't have that clarity and I don't see it that way. And so the assumption I think many times is, well, I guess I have my chance to like, be one of those people. And I'm just not. Because I, I, blew, I blew it. Or, or, or maybe, and I think this is often... The case as well. They could, well, I, I have my shot, um, uh, but maybe, maybe it wasn't even real. I don't know. Like maybe it was contrived. Maybe I just wanted that to be one of those moments. Maybe it was just some sort of emotional thing, and maybe it was fake. Maybe it was contrived. The last thing I want to do is be fake, and so maybe it wasn't the moment that I thought it was. All of that is just the enemy stealing the seed, man. I want to be clear. If you've had one of those moments, I know many of you have. In his mercy, God met you. Heaven touched earth. All right, the scripture's full of these encounters. 
Heaven touches earth. And you filled your lungs with this glory. And it was real and it was kindness and it was clear. But we just don't get to live there. And that's actually by design. Have you ever thought that maybe we get to come up for air so that we can bring some air to those who have never seen the surface? Maybe that's part of it. That we're filled up so that we can be sent back into a world that needs us, needs that clarity and that perspective in the midst of blinding confusion. And also, he does it for the, please don't miss this part. He does it so that you will long for him. And so you'll come back to the surface again. This is, this is how he teaches us. It's how he teaches us to desire him and to pursue him, to stay near the surface. It's by design. So again, the quote, I saw him and I sought him and I had him and I lacked him. And this is and this should be our ordinary undertaking in this life. Now let me read you the rest of the quote. She says this, For God wishes to be seen, and he wishes to be sought, and he wishes to be expected, and he wishes to be trusted.